The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning and excited to do that. So as we get into the Word, I want to acknowledge something that I think is important to acknowledge. There are a lot of times when you're in the Word together, have you ever heard the expression preaching to the choir? Yeah, okay, well, today may be a little bit of preaching to the choir, but what I want us to do is look for uh, the purpose for that. I mean, God is at work no matter where we're at in the Word. He's always leading, always teaching, and He's always raising us up. So as we get into this Word, I, I want to make sure that, that no one in the room feels as if it is something that is not uh, able to be applied to their life. I'll give you an example of that. I, I was, was ministering to a congregation, and this is, uh, uh, was up in Oklahoma, and uh, uh, an individual came following the service and gave a really great compliment. They were being very sweet. Uh, and the, what's funny is what they said, though they meant it to be a compliment, it was, it was a little revealing of an attitude that I think is, is potentially destructive. Uh, they came up and they were all smiles. Oh, that pastor, that word was so great. You know, and I understood, well, well uh, you know, that's sweet of you to say. And they said, when you went to that scripture, I just thought, oh my gosh, I've heard this a thousand times, you know. And, and, and it just revealed to me that that's something, it's a trap that we can all fall in. Where we feel like, hey, been there, done that, I know that, I'm good. So obviously this word is for someone else. And, and that's a real dangerous trap if we, if we fall into that. God's at work in our lives, and as we get into the Word this morning, I'd like for every one of us to just think, Father, why is that Word present in my life today? So here's what I want to talk about. Now, this is a Word that is a powerful Word. It's a, a Word that we ought to discuss, and I believe often, but yet it's a Word that is often avoided in, in church situations and messages uh, of, around the world because of the firestorm that it can create, politically speaking. Now, I'm not talking politics like, you know, uh, uh, in government. I'm talking about politics in churches. The word that I want to discuss this morning is the word repent, repentance. So you have a number of, of, of perspectives and beliefs, and I want to get this out of the way first and foremost. I mean, when I became a Christian, when I was born again, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All sins, past, present, and future, completely wiped away. When we celebrate communion like we just celebrated, we are celebrating holiness. You'll hear a lot of repetition in my speech because I want to repeat things that are true, such as you are the saints. That means the holy ones. Holy meaning without sin, without any stain or blemish. I mean, it means perfect. So, for you, for me as believers, all sin, all corruption, and all of the results of sin are washed away by the blood of Jesus. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. This is the reason why we celebrate. This is the reason why we will live forever. I mean, if you ever wondered why Jesus came out of the grave after three days, it's because he had no sin. Death had no claim on him. Death couldn't hold him. If the wages of sin is death and Jesus is holy, then sin can't claim the right to keep him in death. It's the reason why we'll live forever, because we've been forgiven. All of those sins washed away. So now eternity isn't just some reward to try to build up the Jesus club. 
you know, hey guys, what's the best reward we could throw out there to really attract a crowd? I know, tell people they'll live forever. People are really afraid of death, so if you'll tell them they'll live forever, they'll, they'll come in droves. It's not some marketing scheme. Rather, it's the result of forgiveness. When God has washed away our sins, sin and all of its results have no hold on us. And therefore, death has no hold on us. So we're looking at this, and I'm making that very clear, the power of the blood of Jesus, the holiness that we walk in. But yet we see in the scripture, God continues to minister the purpose of Jesus and his ministry in, to, and through our lives. And we're going to see the purpose of that ministry and its connection to repentance as we get into the scripture. So I want to get into the word. Here's a few things that we're going to find. I enjoy uh, uh, taking notes or writing things down if you have the ability to do that so that you can revisit these things in your own time. Uh, One thing we're going to find is what God is declaring. What God is declaring. Now, declaring is is kind of an odd word. We, We use that word sometimes when we want to emphasize an announcement being made, some kind of proclamation being made. The word says that God is declaring something, means he is making this known. He's making this public knowledge. It's not being hidden, rather it is being put on display. God is declaring something. We're going to see what that is. Another thing we're going to find is what is always noticed in heaven. Now, when I pay attention to our culture, I see that that people have a desire to be noticed. Have you kind of caught that? I mean... When you look at at social media and all the platforms that are being developed that are becoming more and more popular, people are wanting to be noticed. And this is generally speaking. You still have some some introverted people that fly under the radar. Uh, I I like to think myself that that I'm one of those people. But yet in certain situations, I I definitely don't mind the, hey, look at me, and and my wife is laughing at me. But... Uh, people generally are wanting to be noticed. Now, there's something that, that always gets noticed, and it's something that we ought to pay attention to in the Scripture. When I look at people's need to be noticed, when you see people you know, taking pictures of every little thing they do, every little thing they eat, and announcing it, and, and showing it to everybody, you know, there's obviously this desire, this drive in them to have their activities be noticed. Well, I have to ask myself, is that something that is a normal appetite, and is there a biblical way for that appetite to be satisfied? Well, we might find that here. If there's something that always gets noticed, perhaps when we apply that to our life, we'll find that that being noticed has a rich reward in our lives. A third thing that we're going to find is what we should pray for. What we should pray for. So I want to cover a lot of ground here as we move through the scripture, and we're going to move... Uh, rather rapidly. So as we get into the word here, let's, uh, let's just do that straight away. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. I want to get to Acts chapter 17. I want to look at a few verses that uh, show up uh, late in the book of Acts there. Uh, we're going to see uh, uh, Paul preaching. It's a, a sermon that's relatively famous. It's known as his sermon on Mars Hill. He's, he's preaching to the people of Athens. These are great scholars and thinkers. And, and here is the Apostle Paul, after he has had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he's been uh, uh, anointed with and filled with the Holy Ghost, and he's speaking to individuals that have devoted their life to education and, and academics. 
And as he's, he's speaking, he's noticing their culture. I mean, he's acknowledging them on their level, that, that they're scholarly, that they're very academic, but yet he calls them out on their ignorance. Now, ignorance does not mean stupidity. It just means this, this lack of information, that there's things they don't know. And he's capitalizing on their hunger for information by realizing these people are scholarly, and if there's something that they know they don't know, they're going to want to know, you know? So he comes to a point where he points out to them, you have all of these, these items that you worship, all of these idols that you'll bow to, and one of them is even labeled the unknown God. I mean, basically, they're wanting to just throw one in there that just, you know, in case we missed one, there it is. It's the one that got away, so to speak. And Paul acknowledges you worship even in ignorance, but I want to proclaim to you the God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one that has, is the giver of all life. As you read his message here, it's, it's profoundly anointed in that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit in speaking to this community that has no idea who God is, that God is both their maker, the lover of their soul, and the one who would make provision for their eternal security and salvation. And as Paul begins to, pre to, to preach this message, he comes to a point where he speaks these words, and these are the words we're going to pay attention to as we find out what God is declaring. I mentioned that's one of the things we're going to find. We'll find it out right here. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 30. So as, as Paul speaks, he says, Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. All people everywhere should repent. He goes on to reveal why. He says, because, because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through Jesus. But if we're simply asking the question, what is God declaring? What is the message that God is speaking? As we read, you know, 1,300 pages of scripture, what's the point? When you come to what Paul's saying, he's saying, hey, here's the point. Here's what God is declaring. Whether he's declaring it through Moses, whether he's declaring it uh, through the prophets, whether he's declaring it through the poetry and the Psalms, whether he's declaring it through the words of the Proverbs, whether he's declaring it through the gospel, or whether he's declaring it here and now through my messages that we would now call the epistles, whether he's declaring it through any of these means, this is what God is declaring. He's declaring that all people everywhere should repent. I mean, that ought to mean something to us when we see that. That this is really what God is saying through these things. And, and if we can see that that's what God's saying, how can we then value what he's saying? How can we embrace what he's saying? How can we cooperate or participate in what he's saying in order to, to see the benefits of that which he is leading us into, the things that he's declaring and speaking of? I mean, repentance to me is something that is so powerful. It, it is a... a, a, a a situation that is absolute in its extreme, one way or the other. I mean, you could call it a scenario that would be life or death. Let me give you a passage of scripture that would back that up. It's, it's Jesus speaking from Luke chapter 13. I want to read a, a, a verse around verse 3. I tell you this, unless you repent, you will perish. I mean, this is a pretty blunt statement to make. So when we see something so powerful, so important that we see that God's declaring it and everything that he's speaking, 
that we see that this is a matter of the utmost importance, I want to examine what that means. I don't want to miss out on something that God has brought into my life through Jesus. So I want to turn to the, the book of Acts once again, and I want to look at repentance, uh, what repentance produces, its results, why it's present. Let me give you a passage of scripture here from Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Acts 5, 31, it reads like this. Jesus is the one whom God exalted. He exalted him to his right hand as prince and savior. And then you have these words that follow. To grant repentance and forgiveness of sins. So I see something when I see this passage of Scripture. I see Jesus being exalted, Jesus being glorified, Jesus being acknowledged as our Savior, and then I see the reason why. That God would do this, that God would exalt Jesus to his right hand, that he would be established as Prince and Savior to grant or in order to grant. Grant is just another word for give. In order to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. So it might sound a little goofy, and it may sound like, wow, this guy's really hung up on that, but I still want to pause and look at that even just a step deeper. I mean, I love the idea of Jesus being declared Savior, that Jesus being exalted and seated at the right hand of God. We, we sing our songs, and, and we, we, we offer our prayers and our celebration and our agreement to this truth. But when you see that this truth has a purpose, that it's not just because... You know, we grow up in a culture where because is a thing. You know, oftentimes, whether it's in our relationship with our parents, I now have children and I will catch myself being on the lazy side, not wishing to explain. It's just because, right? Well, because I said so. But we can come into that kind of a fellowship as it concerns things in the Scripture, that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why? Well, because. Because God just made it that way. But we see God's doing something through this. It has a purpose and a reason. God did this for the purpose of giving us repentance and forgiveness so that we could walk free from sin and all of its corruption. And if God did all of this work through Jesus, that he would send him into the world, that he would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that he would live his life without sin or corruption, that he would offer his life in ministry, destroying the works of the devil, filled with the Holy Ghost and performing signs and wonders and changing the entire world through, through just a few years of, of ministry and the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, that all of these things would come to place. Then the cross would come to pass, fulfilling all of the, the prophetic destiny that you see in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms. When you see all of these things come to pass, then you have on top of that the resurrection from the dead, which is a pretty powerful testimony, by the way. And then even following that, the fulfilled promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All of these things, these wonderful, powerful, historical, monumental things, all have this purpose. So that God could give something to you, that he could grant to you repentance and therefore the forgiveness of sins. God did all of this so that I could repent. Everything that I see in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, the driving of the nails into his hands, the rolling away of the stone, the ascension into the heavens, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost is all so that I can repent. All so that you can repent. All so that we can repent. 
I want to embrace repentance. I want to understand it. I want to, I want to walk in it. I want to cooperate and participate in what God has done and brought into my life. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here again from Acts, Acts 26, 20. <clears throat> it's speaking of men that they should repent and turn to God, <clears throat> excuse me, and therefore perform the deeds appropriate with repentance. And when we see this passage of Scripture, we, we can see then that repentance brings about a change. It changes the deeds of, of people. Now, this is a really interesting thing to consider because I have a life that is a, one string, a long string of apologies. I mean, I have a, why did you just laugh? My wife is laughing at that. I say I'm sorry all the time. Now, here's the problem with saying you're sorry all the time. I mean, it's that you're still saying you're sorry all the time, which really means nothing's changing. You just feel bad about it, you know. Well, that describes my life before Jesus. I mean, I knew the, the things I were doing, or excuse me, the things I was doing were wrong. I knew they were destroying my life. I knew the, the bondage and the affliction of addiction and all the things that were at work in my life that were destructive and leading to death. It wasn't shocking to have somebody tell me those things were, were wrong or they were destructive. I mean, I, I had a front row seat. I knew what was going on. There was just nothing I could do about it. I would try to stop and I'd be back in, try to stop and be back in, try to stop and be back in. I mean, you, you, you would run into situations or circumstances where there would be trouble or you would have uh, legal issues. And, and obviously, it was no problem to apologize but yet the challenge was change or repentance. And really, that's what repent means. It means to change. So when you see repentance listed here in the book of Acts, you, you see that it comes with something. It comes with a, a different set of deeds that are, as the Bible describes, appropriate to repentance. Uh, I want to give you a, another passage of Scripture here because I think this is important to catch. It's, again, from the book of Acts. Now, you got to understand something. We're pulling from the book of Acts here a, a tremendous amount because the book of Acts is, is the gospel being preached for the first time. It's the apostles going out and they're describing what God has done through Jesus. And, and throughout their, their messages, you're hearing what God has done through Jesus. And that is this call to repent, this call to repent, this call to repent, this call to change and return to God. Again, Acts eleven eighteen. It says, when they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God. And they, they made this statement. Now, this is in quotes, so this is what they said. Well, then, God has now granted to those in the world also the repentance that leads to life. So what you have here in this instance in Acts is, is the, a group of, of Hebrews, uh, Jewish believers, that realize that this isn't just for the Hebrew people, but rather God has opened up the door for repentance to every man, woman, and child around the world. But what's interesting, and the reason why this passage of Scripture is included in the notes, is because what it says repentance uh, leads to. And I think it's really something that should be emphasized for the purpose of increasing the priority of repentance and its presence in and through our lives. That this has been given to us, the repentance that leads to life. When I think of the things in my existence where I would want life to be introduced, I want there to be life in my marriage, I want there to be life in my relationship with my sons, I want there to be life in the congregation, I want there to be life in my friendships and relationships, I want there to be life in every aspect of my living. 
And I can see based on this passage of scripture, the thing that leads to life is that godly change or that repentance. I mean, if my marriage is stuck with a long string of apologies, I don't know that that's going to bring life. But if I can introduce that which brings the change that's necessary to do things the way they're called to be done into my marriage, I have a feeling it will be life-giving. I mentioned before there's something that's always noticed. I mean, this thing that God has blessed us with is, is so far beyond anything, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. This gets noticed. I want to give it to you from the scripture here. Uh, Luke chapter 15, I want to look at verse 10. So when you hear Jesus speaking, here's what you hear him saying here. I tell you, there's joy among the angels of God over every sinner who repents. Now we may be reading between the lines a little bit, but what that tells me is repentance gets noticed. Repentance gets the attention of heaven. Now, I, I don't know what it's like to be one of the angels, and, and I never will. You know, I mean, we have these thoughts that, that are, are, you know, man-made, but if when you die, you don't become an angel. I mean, angels are created beings. In fact, most of our artwork that, that is angelic is, is maybe skewed a little bit. I mean, based on the scripture, the angels don't have wings. In fact, most of the time, they look like really huge men, and, and we tend to make them look like little tiny babies, you know, with little wings and they flutter around and we decorate our bathrooms with them and things like that. In the scripture, when you see an angel enter the room, most of the time the first words out of their mouth have to be fear not, right? I've joked with you before, that's kind of a goal of mine. I, I want to be so manly that when I walk in a room, I have to just say, hey, like, hey guys, you don't have to be afraid. It's okay. I mean, these angels, this is what they've got going for them, you know. And we turn them into little chubby babies, and, and that's unfortunate. But what you see here is that, that the angels are watching. They're paying attention, and they're filled with joy every time an individual repents. So when I watch this passage, or excuse me, when I see this passage of Scripture, the only thing that I can think of is, is just the things that I've observed. You know, I mean, I, I, I picture myself watching a sporting event or, or something like that where I'm watching and I have a desired result in mind. And when I see that desired result, I stand and cheer. I mean, I have been that guy at a lot of, of Thanksgiving meals, the only one. you ever been the only person interested in the Cowboys game that was on at the time? I mean, I don't know how that happens, but it seems to happen a lot, you know, where everyone else is over here doing something and you're like, the game is on. Do I really have to talk with you people? I could be watching that. I've been that guy a few times, and, and I've been the guy then where, where everyone wonders if they need to call 911 because of the screaming that just broke out in that other room, because I witnessed something that was a desirable thing for me. I saw the result that I was hoping for, and I celebrated. I mean, it's just a goofy example, but when I see this passage of Scripture, I see something similar. I see all of heaven is observing my life, waiting for a desired result. That desired result being stepping into everything that God brought into my life through Jesus, which is the ability to repent. I have the ability to change. I don't have to stay a liar. I don't have to stay a cheat. I don't have to stay a thug in any way, shape, or form. I can change. 
And the reason why I can change is because the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that God has brought into my life, he's brought into my life so that I can become less like me and more like Jesus. It's what he's doing. It's foundational, too. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture, and we'll move quickly through these. Uh, Hebrews 6.1. It's a call to, to move on from what is referred to as the elementary teachings. So you understand what that's communicating, right? It's like, this is really basic. Like, when I think of elementary, what, what's the first word that you would think of if I say elementary? School, yeah. I mean, some of you may think like, like you know, Sherlock, elementary, my dear Watson. But when I I think of elementary, I think of of children, like young children. I mean, my young children went to elementary school, and then as they grew and matured, and as they they proved that they had had met those standards, then they graduated to a a, a higher standard. And they went to middle school, and they'd go to high school, and then they'd go to college. I don't know if I'm going to send them to college. It's tough. It's a tough call. That'll be, God will have to speak there for sure. But in all of these things, you see, you see uh, elementary is the emphasis here, that this is basic, that it's childish. So here's what's being written here in the book of Hebrews. Leave behind these childish teachings. That doesn't mean leave behind as in abandoned. It means don't get stuck there. Don't think childish things are, are the mature things. Rather, rather graduate from them, move on. Leaving behind elementary teachings about Christ, let us now press on to maturity and not have to lay again the foundation. You see that word? Foundation is going to be what everything else is built on. The foundation of repentance. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. I mean, repentance is really meant to be foundational. And and that's one of the reasons why I think we ought to talk about it and talk about it often. Not so that we can get hung up on it and view it as a, a place of maturity, but so that we can establish this as basic, first, Anything that's foundational comes first. You would never build this building and then lay its foundation. You would lay its foundation and then you would build the building. So when I think about that and apply it to any area where I want to see anything built up, whether I use the same examples I used earlier, my marriage, my my family, you know, any aspect of my life, business, ministry, anything like that, this comes first. I mean, first thing on the checklist of anything that I want to see God move in needs to be, is there any need for repentance to be present here? Let's make sure the foundation is laid for success. You could ask that in any situation, any circumstance. You could have a point of conflict in your life, a place where a relationship has suffered and and has been breached and there's a gap. You could ask yourself, Father, I know I'm called to be part of the solution to this, so let's first check the foundation. Is there any place where I need to repent? And if the foundation's great, then move me on to what I need to do, where I need to build. But if the foundation's fractured, don't let me do anything until we have that fixed. If for us to consider repentance elementary is not for us to consider elementary in the sense that it is for lesser IQs or that, that we get too smart for it and so we move on from it, but that we see that it's at the basis of everything. That might sound goofy, but let me give you a little example. When you were in elementary school, you learned things like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? You moved on from that. 
you didn't get into high school and sit down with all of your classmates and your teachers step up and say, okay, all of you who just drove here in vehicles, let's sing the alphabet, A, B, C, D, but you still used the alphabet in high school. You didn't think about it, but you were still using it. That's what this means. It's, this is elementary. You're going to take this and you're going to use this now forever. When we consider repentance, it's not something that is one and done. I graduated from that. I repented, and so I'm done with that, and now I've moved on to mature things. What's being revealed here is, hey, this is elementary. This is going to be at the foundation of everything you do from now on. Everything you do from now on. So to think that I've graduated from repentance or I've moved on from repentance would be to open the door for error and frustration. But to embrace the idea that, hey, I've learned repentance, and now repentance needs to be included as the foundation in every single thing I do. Not that I am burdened with repentance, but that I see that this is the gateway for change. If I want to see change in a relationship, if I want to see change in a situation, the only way that I can see that change comes to pass is if something is different. If nothing becomes different, then it's always going to stay the same. It's profound, isn't it? It's foundational. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here from Luke. Jesus is speaking here in Luke. Luke chapter 24. I want to look at verses 46 and 47. And he's proclaiming basically what he is called to do. The, the prophecy he's called to fulfill in his death and his resurrection, once again confirming why God would do all of these things. It reads like this. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name through all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. I mean, he's kind of summing it up. He's giving you the gospel in a sentence. This is what God's done. God sent me to fulfill all of these things, my death on the cross, my, my resurrection, all so that now what could be proclaimed in every nation is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And this is a real priority message. I, I, I want to share this with you, and we'll begin uh, to, to close with this. I grew up in, in church circles that would be uh, considered charismatic or spirit-filled. I mean, everyone has different definitions of that. I mean, I believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit and, and the, the, the power and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. And, and those are things that are, are, are not only just believed in, but I want those things to be a part of my life, not just in my life, but through my life. And, and I want that for, for every person in the congregation, for every believer. And, and so as I grew up in those circles, it was very easy to identify a good or a healthy church situation based on the manifestation of those gifts. Or you might say, wow, that was a great church service. You know, so-and-so came forward and got prayer and God really touched their life. And that, that would be, that would make a, a great church service. But... That's how men keep score. Now, I'm not saying that we keep score or God keeps score, but I'm just using that as a kind of a little verbal example so that we can move quickly through this. God looks at something altogether different. And when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, we'll see something really profound that, that I think ought to affect how we measure things in our own life and in our own 
uh, uh, perspectives. So you have to understand that Jesus is moving and he's preaching the gospel. He's declaring the truth of God. And it's being confirmed with power by the Holy Ghost. I mean, we read the, the history in the gospels the, through, through the ministry, through the word, through the laying on of hands. You see people being healed. You see blind eyes being opened, deaf ears being opened, the lame standing up, the lepers being cleansed. You see all of these wonderful and powerful manifestations of the power of God, all to confirm that the words that Jesus is speaking are true. You see these wonderful confirmations. And then I want to read this passage of Scripture. It's just a, a sentence that Jesus speaks, and, and I want us to consider what's being said in this statement. It comes from Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. So I want you to just ask yourself this question. You don't have to answer Please don't answer it out loud. But if you were in a church where you saw lots of miracles being done, would that excite you? Well, I mean, it would excite me. It would greatly excite me. In, in fact, I desire that. We pray for those things. We desire those things. And we, we offer our lives to make opportunity for those things. Father, here I am. Use me. But I want to show you that there's something specific, that if we begin to, to prioritize or judge by those elements and those elements alone, we could miss the point. And Jesus speaks of the point. So consider these cities that Jesus would go and minister in. Filled with hurt and needy people. Jesus goes and he preaches. And, and as he preaches, he begins to meet the needs out of, out of God's compassion of all of those that are present. He's healing the sick and he's performing uh, these, these great acts of, of the power of God. And then he goes on to say this in Matthew chapter 11 in verse 20. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. I'm pausing there on purpose. That's not the end of the scripture. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done. He did all of these great works. There was all this manifestation of the power of God. In the church circles that I grew up in, you, you, would, you would be excited by that. That would, would tell you that there was faith and there were people that believed and that they were, were responding to the call of God and there were results and this would be a good thing. But Jesus said, as he looks at these cities, that, that this was, was not a good thing and it has a reason, because. I want to read the entire verse. Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. It's kind of interesting to just think about. And, and, you know, I mean, this is the kind of scripture that I think is worth reading and simply saying, God, by your spirit, will you teach me what that means? I mean, why would that be included in the scripture? Did Jesus just have kind of an off day, maybe he didn't sleep good that night, and so he's griping? Because I don't really see that in the nature of Jesus Christ. So he's not like me where he's just kind of chippy or has a bad day and so he fusses a little bit. But rather he's noticing something. That if we begin to focus on the wrong thing and misprioritize, we can miss the point. If we become fixated on witnessing miracles or, or seeing these things or, or the produ production of, of numbers uh, and, and response, we can miss that the whole point isn't the manifestation of miracles or producing of numbers, but rather the point is the change. Was there any change? Did it produce any 
change? Did it produce any repentance? That's really the goal. So now here's where I'm at, and this is kind of the point, and this is where we, we bring things to a close. I ask myself, not in the reading of the history, but in the examining of my life. Father, I've seen your power often in my life. I've witnessed your deliverance. I've been in a bind, and you've shown up and done great things. I've needed counsel or assistance or direction, and you've provided all of those things for me. I see all of these things. I'm like one of these cities where most of your miracles were done. Now the question is, have I missed the point? Have I been one that would repent? Have I been one that would change, lay down my ways of doing things to take on your ways of doing things? I don't want to end up like one of these cities where I grade my life by how many times you've performed miracles. Well, I must be a really great Christian because the power of God is always present in my life. I don't want to be denounced as one where most of your miracles were done, but he didn't repent. He never surrendered or yielded or, 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 or uh, embraced my ways over his own ways. I want to be one that walks in that calling and that purpose, everything that Jesus was sent for to proclaim, that repentance would be an active part of my life, the repentance that leads to life itself. That requires something. It requires an awareness. It requires a desire. It requires a, a, a willingness and a humility to change and be transformed. It requires these things. I want to give you a, a passage of Scripture here. Uh, I, want, I think two more and we're done. And this, this one here is an identity of, of what is required. It identifies, in my opinion, what's required for repentance to be a present and active part of my life. I mentioned before, you know, something that we should pray for. It was going to be a, a third thing that we were going to find. I want to offer this to you as something that we should pray for. I want you to hear that word very clearly. I want to offer this to you. It's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be an equipping, to edify, so that we can be intentional about pursuing repentance as an active part of our lives. I want to give you this, uh, these passages of Scripture. Uh, first of all, Luke, Luke 5.32. Luke 5.32 is, is Jesus just making a simple statement that I, he's not called uh, the righteous but the sinners to repentance. So, I mean, that tells me something, that, that, that as you are witnessing the call to repentance, it's always going to be connected with an area that needs to change, an area that is not glorifying to God. I mean, we would define that as sin. Again, I opened up the message today talking about the power of the blood of Jesus and the holiness that God's brought into my life, and yet God is still purging my life from habits that are destructive and don't glorify his name. So this isn't about your eternal position. This is about God cleaning up the garbage that is a hindrance to his glory active and flowing through our lives. I want to give you a, this passage of scripture here too, something that's necessary in order for repentance to be a part of your life. I want to say the word to you because I want it to have a little bit of shock value, and then I want to read the scripture. The word that is in the scripture is sorrow. Now, have you ever thought that God would bring sorrow into your life on purpose? And we don't really see bumper stickers that just say, you know, pray for sorrow. You know, you don't go to Mardell's and look at the Christian bookstore and, and see, you know, hey, here's seven tips on how to get sorrow into your life. 
You know, if you go and you ask them for, hey, I, I need to find your section of books on how to introduce sorrow into my life, they're probably going to look at you like you're nuts. But I want to give you a passage of scripture here, and I hope that it connects because it's really kind of the point. Uh, what we need to pray for, 2 Corinthians 7.10. If you're taking it down for your notes, 2 Corinthians 7.10. What we need to pray for, I want to give you this passage of scripture. It speaks of sorrow. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God. That's, that's how the passage opens. Those aren't my words, that's the scripture. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now this is a passage of scripture that's worth reading and asking God. God, reveal what this means to me. I want to know this inside and out. I don't want to be stuck in the sorrow that is in this world where I am led and, and strung along by grief and by loss, but rather I want to know fully the sorrow that is of your will that leads to repentance that has no regrets, that repentance that leads to life, that leads to salvation according to this passage of Scripture. And that sorrow I want to be well acquainted with. I want to be a man of repentance. I want to be a man of change. I don't want to be a man that just apologizes for the same nonsense over and over and over again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It is a broken record. I want to be a man that by your power and by your authority can actually have the life-giving change that you paid the highest price to bring into my life through Jesus. I want to be a man of repentance. So I want to consider what that sorrow according to the will of God is. Well, it, it's, it would take place in the heart. It's an issue of the heart. The situation, the circumstance, is it heartbreaking to you? Does it produce a disappointment, a frustration, an element that could be described as sorrow? And that sorrow being of the will of God, will it produce that repentance, that thing that has no regrets? You know, I've been set free from a number of things, addictions and bondages, and I've never one day regretted and just thought, you know what? I should have never given up booze. It just doesn't happen. I look back on those things and I see those as points of deliverance. This is when life began and I was set free from death. So the, the statement was something that we should pray for. It would be a good thing to introduce into our lives. Father, show me the sorrow that's according to your will that will produce repentance, and that will lead to salvation. And deliver me from the sorrow of this world, the, the, the shame and the wallowing and guilt that produces death. But lead me to that sorrow that leads me out of the garbage that doesn't bring you glory and into the life that exalts Jesus Christ. I want to give you another passage of Scripture of what to pray for here. And then we'll close with this. And I've mentioned this before. I'm going to tip my hand pastorally. There's a lot of people that will, as we minister to situations or circumstances, you'll hear me pray oftentimes for the kindness of God. And there's a reason why I'll ask for that. I'll give you a passage of scripture here as we close. Romans 2, 4. It, it says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. The kindness of God leads us to Repentance. Repentance that leads to life, repentance that leads to salvation, repentance that is the point of the gospel, the, the, the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The kindness of God leads us to that. 
So oftentimes in my prayer life, and I, I hope that it continues and is magnified, and I hope that it is, is in yours as well, my prayer will be, Father, show me your kindness. Let your kindness prevail right here and right now. Let your kindness exist all around me, in me, through me. Let your kindness wash over my heart and my mind. And in that prayer, what I'm asking for is, Father, lead me to repentance. Lead me to that place where change by the authority of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be effective and life-giving. Those are the things that I want to see introduced into our lives for the purpose of being a repentant people, a people that are walking according to the calling that is placed upon their lives in Jesus and coming to know the real and the genuine change that God paid the highest price to bring into our lives. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray before we dismiss. So many of us, as we've prayed together, obviously the prayer for God's kindness to be present is part of a, a, a series of things that I'll pray for. And the purpose behind that, like we stated from the scripture, to see the introduction of the necessary change brought in through our lives. When you talk about things like repentance, it's very easy for the topic to bring about a number of different thoughts, a number of different feelings and sensations. It gets really quiet. There's not a lot of funny stories. There's not a, a, a lot of opportunity to introduce any kinds of props or antics into the message. But I want the importance of the message to soak in, that your life is, is called, like in the word, as a city set on a hill. And just like Jesus would look upon the cities in which most of the miracles that he performed were done, and he wouldn't look on those cities and just say, man, that was a great town. Boy, the spirit was flowing there, miracle after miracle after miracle. What he would be looking for was the repentance, the change. When he looks upon our hearts, I want him to see the repentant uh, nature that he paid the highest price to bring into our lives, embraced and lived out. And it's going to require us as believers responding to his word, walking in the kindness of God individually and together, and having an environment where we can see and know and understand that this is for believers. It's a tool that God has equipped us with to, to grow us and mature us. Or else we would become born again and we would never, ever change afterward. And my life has been a series of changes and there's more on the way. I want to pray and I want to ask God to do these things for us. And these things are done in the heart. They're done in the mind. And then they're lived out through our actions and our habits. And there where you stand, I want to pray. I want to ask God to do this work in us. And I assure you, there's no greater minister in the room than the Holy Ghost. That God would send his spirit to do a work in us and through us. And as he does this work in us, I trust that it'll be lived out through our words and our actions. There where you stand, you're welcome to be in a, a state of agreement or simply receiving. I want to pray. I want to pray for me. I want to pray for you as well. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, for the anointing that you would reveal to us through his life. Let the ministry that he would bring into existence through the gospel, 
not simply be seen as, as good reading or, or, or even a piece of, of history meant to be embraced or celebrated, but let it be understood that you did all of these things for a purpose. That purpose to bring repentance into our lives. Let it be something that would be embraced as a lifestyle. That there would be a, a desire to pursue uh, this powerful and, and wonderful gift. Let there be a righteous breaking of our hearts, as your word would put it, that we would have the sorrow that is of your will. That the things that need to go would bother us. And that we would turn to you and, and seek your counsel in how to abandon those fruitless things and embrace the things that bring life. Let's be a people free from a, a life of constant apology. And let us come to know the life-giving deliverance that is in repentance, that we could truly change. We give you thanks for the work that you've done through Jesus. We rejoice that he would come out of the grave to live forevermore, King of kings and Lord of lords. We give you thanks that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And let the point and the purpose not be missed. That our lives would not simply be like those cities where most of the miracles were done, but our lives would be filled with change and transformation, that we would truly grow from glory to glory, that we might be matured, that we might be able to graduate from those elementary things and move on to the mature things of your kingdom. Let repentance be the foundation established from the very beginning that we would carry with us in every work to come. Let us be quick to repent. Let us be slow to walk in offense. And let there be a change and a transformation in and through us that would bring you honor and glory and that would result in your promised deliverance, salvation, and life. We bless your name and we thank you for the power to change, the authority of the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, let our lives be given to the change that would expand your kingdom and bring you honor. We bless your name and we thank you. As you've called us to be a repentant people, let it be so for your namesake and your glory. We give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at jameschurch.com.